0: Um, we're at, towards the end of chapter 4, and much we have looked at, and it's really enjoyed the study, and um, it just seems so black and white, and as even if Dr. Marshall was up here last week giving an overview of many things of it, and just how many proverbs there are in it, and idioms that we use today, and um, a very practical book, Today, um, I titled is it's called "Who Are You?" Because I just wanted to consider a few things, or us to consider a few things, and I want you to examine your life, to examine your heart and your thoughts and your words and your deeds, and you know, ask and ask yourself, you know, what does you know a true religion look like, and you know, are you a doer of the word, and um, you know, what are you like when you're alone? And what are you like around others? Are you slow to anger? Are you quick to judge? Are you slow to speak? Do you argue when you don't get your own way or pout? Are you striving to draw near to God? Or are you drifting along, you know, in life and becoming more and more stained by the world, being pulled by its, its lusts and desires. You know, the degree to which any of, any of these is, is most likely measured by, we can say it's measured by humility versus pride in our, in our lives. The more humble than one is less likely to judge. The more humble than one is more likely to be slow to speak the more humble than one is less likely to argue and fight. On the other hand, there is pride. You know, pride puts your interest above others. Pride is quick to forget God's grace and the mercy and causes one to boast in himself. Calvin said, or John Calvin said that pride is a disease inborn in human nature and that everyone... Would have, in that everyone would have all others to live according to his own will or fancy. Pride is the overarching sin that leads to all the problems that James addresses. If we look back, just a little bit of review in chapter 2, we see that pride causes favoritism and partiality, or a form of judging others. That was verse 4. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And chapter 3, it talks about the prideful tongue, a dangerous member. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. In chapter 3, towards the end, pride is jealous and selfish and it leads to evil things. This would be a, uh, an earthly wisdom or ungodly but if you have bitter jealousy, that'd be verses 14 through 18. But if you have bitter jealously and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. The first part of 4, which we saw some weeks back, you know, pride leads to envy, which is the source of fighting and quarreling and, and friendship with the world. And enmity with God. And what we're looking at today, verses 11 and 12, pride leads to speaking against your brother and speaking against the law, therefore judging the law. And towards the end, 13 to 17, pride leads to boasting in self and leaving God out of your planning. But as I was going through these, you know, I wanted to see if I saw a common thread, but you, do you see a common thread here? If we went back through those, you probably would if you haven't yet. But the common, there was a common vehicle which pride is revealed or delivered to. Um, or, yes, it revealed that others can see, right? But just through the tongue. James says the tongue is a fire, that very world of iniquity. You know, maybe we don't always see it come through the tongue, you know, now in our technological age, but text and emails and and so many different ways we can easily write without speaking. The tongue is the most difficult member to control. He says, James says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able to bridle the whole body as well. It blesses and curses. It boasts of great things. It reveals one's religion. It reveals the heart so easily. Back in uh, chapter one, verse 26 says, "If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless." What about for you, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard for me to hear. From the heart of pride or the fountain of pride, it overflows and it it pours out lies and deceit. It overflows with envy and and self-ambition and slander and judging and evil-speaking and and boasting. James says, this ought not be this way. In the following verses we're looking at today, James continues to give these warnings. I uh, I want to pray first. Gracious Father, with the power of your Spirit, would you use a weak vessel or person like myself and that people would uh, hear your words, that pride would be destroyed, and that humility would thrive in our hearts. Break up hard hearts. Please and soften them. Help us to see and understand, yes, that your word cuts. But that is what draws us to you. You know, when we taste its bitterness, then we can taste the sweetness of Christ and I pray that today, and we could just hear your words. Teach through me, in Christ's name, amen. So the text today I'm reading um, verses 11 through 17, but mainly looking at 11 through 12. So if you would uh, able to stand with me, please read James 4, the verses 11 through 17. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Come now. to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Maybe see. So again, for 11, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So to speak, you know, what does this mean to speak against a brother? Um, it's, it's speaking evil of one another. It's speaking evil and speaking evil of the law. What does it mean to speak against or to speak evil? It's to slander, to criminate, um, to speak ill words of, to speak lies against. You know, this, this in and of itself is sin because it's a violation of the law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Christ commanded Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine 39 and, and Mark 12, 31. And as Paul repeats in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James says, Do not do this. Do not speak against one another. Again, he who speaks against a brother. Or judges his brother, speaks against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. I repeat that again because I want you to see the end result of this, of speaking evil against a brother, or speaking against the law, you make yourself a judge of it. Not a doer, but a, a judge of it. Judging the deeds of your brother, therefore making you a judge of the law. So what's the problem with this? There's three things. I'm sure there's more, but this is what I saw. One, it dethrones God and enthrones yourself as judge. It dethrones God and enthrones yourself as judge. Two, makes you a judge of the law, therefore not a doer. Makes you a judge of the law and not a doer. And three, there is only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. So first, it dethrones God and thrones yourself. Being a judge is setting yourself, like I already said, it's setting yourself above the law. It's pridefully condemning whatever does not please us. It's to pronounce opinion concerning right or wrong. It's to pass judgment on the deeds and words of others. Uh, no, this is exempting yourself, it's exempting yourself from the obedience and subjection to the law. And again, which is setting yourself as judge, and it's, it's not submitting to God as we are committed back in verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. To not submit and to disregard some commands and reject some of God's laws is to reject him, and again, enthrone ourselves. This makes one not a doer, but a judge. So two, again, therefore not a doer. That should be very significant to us. I mean, not a doer of the law, not doing his word, not a performer, not one who obeys or fulfills the law. You know, how do you know if someone is a true believer from a false believer? How do you know a live tree from a dead tree? Children, you can probably answer this one, right? How do you know a live tree from a dead tree? Leaves, Leaves be one, right? Yeah. Fruit. fruit, yeah. You want your, if you have a fruit tree, you want some fruit on it, right? So I'm hoping get my trees take like some apples this year. Some good fruit. Anyway. How do you know a true believer from a false believer? Fruit. David says in Psalm 1-3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf also shall not wither. Does the same for the believer. Having fruit is marked by being a doer of the word. And one knows that he knows Christ has fruit if he keeps his commandments. This one place you know, in 1 John 2-3-4 by this we know we have come to know him. Okay? By this we know basically that we know him okay, if we keep his commandments. If we keep his word, if we are a doer of his word. That's how we know. The one who says, I have come to know him, or know him, it does not keep his commandments, and the liar he, and he does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There's no fruit. Speaking evil or slandering your brother or sister in Christ, it's, it's not humbly submitting to God. But in pride, it's condemning others and setting yourself as judge. Again, dethroning God and enthroning yourself, hence violating the law of love and not being a doer of the law. And I tell you what, this was hard for me to get through this time. I mean, this... I've this <laughs> I, I just, I just seen how many relationships I've destroyed by judging others. So believe me, I'm preaching to myself. But this does not mean we do not confront other people's sin. James is not condemning rebuking or correction. He is not condemning all forms of discernment in relation to other people, but he is condemning proud criticism and slanderous accusations and, and speaking evil and but he doesn't forbid conferning those in sin which is commanded to us in Scripture. Matthew eighteen five, for example, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. This is throughout Scripture. Acts twenty thirty one, First Corinthians four fourteen, Colossians one twenty eight, Titus one thirteen, two fifteen and three ten. And and for us that maybe need to receive that, you know, think about putting yourself in that those shoes. You know, if a if a brother or sister comes to you to confront sin, you know, this is where be on guard against pride. As many times we are blind to our own sin. As David says in Psalm 12, uh, 19, 12, you know, who can discern his errors? Equip me from hidden faults. God uses our brothers and sisters to call out our sins just as he used Samuel to call out David's sins when he said, you are the one, or you are the man. And it is here when we experience that were there either going to be a prideful scoffer who hates, or a wise man that loves and increases in wisdom and increases in learning? It's in Proverbs nine, eight and nine. Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you, reprove a wise man, and he will love you. So how are you doing with this? Is pride, bitterness, or non repentance your response? Or are you in humility increasing in wisdom and understanding? But back to the third one or third point of the problem of being a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. The one who's able to save and destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? So one lawgiver and judge. Lawgiver refers to the one who puts the law in place. Makes sense, right? He's the one who puts law in place. He makes the law, lawgiver, lawmaker. The judge refers to the one who applies the law. So we have the lawmaker, lawgiver, and then the one who actually applies it. God is both. There's only one who has authority to put laws in place and to save those who repent and to destroy those who choose not to repent of sin. There's only one that makes the law and one that judges the law. God alone is a sovereign ruler and creator of of the universe. So God is lawgiver and law applier. Wiser does one, um, two answers. A, God's laws are perfect and He applies the law perfectly. Yet God's laws are perfect and He applies the law perfectly. And B, God is the only one who is able to save and to destroy. So the first part there, God's laws are perfect, and he applies the law perfectly. He judges perfectly. Since God is perfect and holy, there are no errors as lawgiver or judge. The law of the Lord is perfect. Says Psalm 19.7. Unlike man, we very well know, who makes imperfect laws and can judge wrongly, God judges perfectly and he perfectly applies the law because only he and why is this because only he knows the hearts and motives and intent of man for Samuel 16:7 for the man looks at the outward appearance that's what we can see right the fruits and we judge based off of that but the lord looks at the heart I mean do you know someone's heart sometimes we think we like to think so, just based off outward appearance. You may think so, but the only, the great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts, who is great in counsel and mighty in deeds, is whose eyes are open to all the way of the sons of men, and gives everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah 32, 18, 19. Again, this is why there's one, one lawgiver and judge, and not all of us. Thank goodness. Then the second portion of that, um, B, God is the only one who is able to save and destroy. Why is there one lawgiver and judge? He is the only one able to save and destroy. Again, this is how, so we have the lawgiver Right, who who gives it perfectly and he judges perfectly and when he for judging perfectly this is applying the law. Okay, and applying the law is saving or destroying. Okay. It's just as you know, we think of as a human judge, if he was up here with the gavel and you know, he was there was some person down here and given a verdict, maybe it is with the the death penalty, you know, and he's choosing innocent or guilty, basically to save or destroy, right? It'd be very similar, or in a similar fashion. Um, You know, God saves those who repent of their sins and destroys those who do not repent of their sins, who choose not to. I want to first look at at God's saving, okay, the saving part of that, as law-applier. Hebrews seven twenty five says therefore he is able to save forever. It's a key word there forever. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives, always lives to make intercession for them. Romans eight twenty four. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Christ saves you from sin by imputing his righteousness to you. This act of grace justifies you before God. It appeases his wrath so that in humility you may draw near to God, and he draws near to you. Matthew 121, For he shall save his people from their sins. Christ died for your sins and now lives forever to make intercession. And since he lives forever, he intercedes forever, therefore he saves forever. Not one year, not ten years, not fifty years, forever. He saves for eternity. This is a great God we have. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, great in mercy, would choose to save some from eternal destruction in hell. God's second act as judge or law applier is again the one who is able to save and then to destroy. As law and law applier, he saves those who repent and of their sins and destroys those who refuse to repent. Matthew 10:28 Do not fear those who kill the kill the body but unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell the word here destroy doesn't mean uh, annihilation okay but eternal destruction in hell unless you repent of your sins unless you repent of your sins you will all likewise perish luke 13:3 and 5 so stop here a minute and this you to think and Understand that all of this hinges on sin. You know, do you understand the seriousness of sin? I think in our culture, it's, it's you know in so many pulpits, sin is not even preached because they're afraid to hurt people's ears. We're such in this feely good culture, and but sin again—it's it's quoted so many times. But you know, you taste the bitterness of, before you can taste the sweetness of Christ. You taste the bitterness of sin. The law is what brings us to Christ. So do you understand the seriousness of sin? God hates sin. Sin is contrary to God's holiness. A.W. Pink said, How hateful sin must be to God for him to punish it to its utmost deserts when it was imputed to his son. God hates all sin. He loves everything which is conformity to his laws and loathes everything which is contrary to it. His word plainly declares, the froward is an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs 3.32. And again, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs 15.26. It follows, therefore, he must necessarily punish sin. Sin can no more exist without demanding his punishment, without requiring his hatred for it, end quote. We saw earlier in James, it's just his warning in chapter 4 about uh, the friendship of the world and having greater affections for things of the world and the ways of the world than God. It's hostility toward God, enmity toward God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God is contrary to sin, and we've heard probably several times before be killing sin or be killing you. Please. Consider the seriousness and the weightiness of, of sin and of speaking evil and judging one another. It's just it's such an easy thing to do. James ends this section with a question, "But who are you? Who are you to judge your neighbor?" The same question comes in Romans 14:4: 4, "Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls? God is the only one who has authority to judge. It is only the holy and perfect God is able to save and to destroy. So who are you? Who am I? Who are you to usurp God's role, to take on his authority and, and, and raise yourself up as a judge? Do you know the hearts and minds of men, their true motives? Do you not know the vast difference between you and God? His pure, infinite wisdom and, and our finite understanding and you know, His power as creator of our universe and the world and the intricacies of us and the, down to the trillions of cells we have in our body versus our weakness as a creature. The prideful heart of man, we want, we, we want to be like God. So, who are you? Sinner, creature, foolish, weak, finite understanding, prideful, selfish, full of envy and slander. This doesn't make you feel bad, (laughs) okay? But who are you to judge? Who are we to judge? Lastly, if you would just turn with me to Matthew 7. Uh, I was looking at one verses one through five. <clears throat> Matthew seven verses one through five. I'm just going to read uh, verses one and two first. Uh, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. I saw James give a similar command in in chapter 2, 12 and 13. said, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown mercy mercy triumphs over judgment so you will be judged by how you judge others to me that's scary and the same and the measure of the same mercy given to you as the mercy you give others back to matthew why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I, just, I wanted to see from that that our own sin, our own pride, and our own selfish ambition, our envy, it so many times blinds us. It's just a huge log in our eye. And we are then, on the other side, we're so quickly and easy to see the speck somehow even though we're covered with the big logs of sin, we still see and judge specks of sin in other people's lives. A speck. Before we even acknowledge and repent of the log of sin that we have in our own life. So what is our response to this, or what is your response? You know, by the grace of God and, and humility, repent. Repent of sin. You know if you violated the laws of the God of love, then your love for the Father should drive you to a, a godly sorrow, a bitterness of sin. In the, last, uh, the last time it psalm verse nine. Towards the end of it was, uh, it was, "Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in the morning, your joy to gloom. This is the sorrow over sin. And then verse 10, it says, humble yourselves. In the presence of the Lord, he will exalt you. Only the humble can repent and be exalted and brought near to God. And it is here in his presence, is fullness of joy, countenance is restored. There's gladness and peace and comfort. I mean, aren't these all the desires that we seek here on earth in so many different things other than God? But it's only found in God, the repentance of sins and and trusting in the person and and the saving works of Jesus Christ. And through that, through Christ, we can think, who are you? Saved. Forgiven, redeemed, blessed, exalted, hopeful, the list could go on and on. But that's at least one to try to leave on a good note. You know, it's a hard-hitting passage. Saved, forgiven, purchased, redeemed, blessed, exalted, hopeful. Therefore, we should be merciful and gracious and loving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word of truth. And many times it's just it, it is hard to hear and to read and uh and so many times we we fall short. And it can cause sorrow and many and if we're falling short of commandments and it, it should grieve us that we that we would just offend the God of love. Father, help us to be more repentful and just to be careful, ever so careful, just to guard our hearts of pride and what can overflow from that. Please help us remember that you are the only judge. You are the one lawgiver and the law applier. Father, you thank you so much for the blood of Christ. Just covering us with righteousness that that's what you would see and not all of our wretched sins. Thank you for covering the past and present and future of our sins. Help us, Lord, to desire you more, desire your word more, and draw us, please, nearer to you every day, and move us away from the world and the lusts thereof.